as Sam said, we're going to, uh, for the next several weeks, look at uh, Psalm 23. Um, as I'll talk about in just a minute, it's one of the most, maybe one of the most important parts of the Bible, maybe one of the most well-known. Um, and we're going to do that for a couple of reasons. One is I think it's just a good psalm to meditate on, to reflect on. It's also, as I was, as I think I was sharing with Sam, um, it, it strikes me that uh, you know a church plant that who has just kind of lost its pastor, lost kind of in the Bible, pastors are sometimes called shepherds, uh, lost its pastor. Uh, you're a community that needs to be focused on the good shepherd, on Jesus. And I think culturally and socially in, in our society, uh, if you look around, probably in your neighborhoods, on television, uh, in places that you go, you see people each and every day who are, uh, like Jesus said many years ago, are like sheep without a shepherd. And so I think this Bible speaks to everyone wherever they're at, this deep heart need that we have to find a true shepherd. So uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 23 today. And I would invite you as I read the scripture, if we could stand together out of respect for uh, God's word. And, um, and then we'll jump in. So Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. So as I said, we're going to kind of begin a journey of sorts today. Uh, and it's a trip, I think, through territory that, you know, if you were raised in the church, you've been around the church for some time, and you grew up in the church, it might at first feel familiar uh, as we were reading that passage together, I'm sure. Um, maybe there were some of you who knew those words even by heart. Uh, but I think actually the further in we get into this ancient poem, the further in we get into Psalm 23, uh, I think you're going to discover, as I have, that this is, I think, largely uncharted territory for a lot of Christians. And if, if, even if you're not a Christian, uh, this is going to be uncharted territory for you. This is something that I think is might strike you as new, something, a way you've, you've maybe never understood Christianity before. Uh, Psalm 23, as I said, is it's, it's one of the most, perhaps one of the most quoted parts of the entire Bible. Um, and I think at this, maybe at the same time, uh, what I'd like to maybe convince you of is that it's, while being one of the most quoted parts of the Bible, it's also, at the same time, one of the most misunderstood. Uh, it's revered by three major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. It's memorized by kids. It's recited at funerals. It's printed in Hallmark greeting cards. But I think the more that I study this ancient poem, uh, and I, as I was looking back this week and reflecting on it, meditating on it, uh, the more I'm convinced that we just we don't get it. Uh, we haven't yet plumbed the depths of uh, Psalm 23. So take, for example, the, just the idea, even the idea that this poem is quoted at funerals. This is perhaps one of the most quoted passages of scripture 
when uh, when a family or when friends or a community is suffering the loss of a loved one, the grief of death. Uh, we think of this psalm as kind of a med almost a meditation on death, and that's why it's quoted at funerals. Uh, but but think for a moment, sort of transport yourself back uh, a couple thousand of years ago to sort of a rural uh, you know, agrarian culture or a community like the ancient Hebrews. Uh, they would have been the first people to hear this poem uh, millennia ago. Uh, they would have seen shepherds and sheep on, a, on an almost daily basis. And so for them, they would have reflected on Psalm 23, maybe not so much as a meditation on death, but actually a, a reflection on life, on what it means to live. Uh, Psalm 23, I don't think it's primarily, it speaks to death, but it's not primarily about death. It's, it's really about how to live your life. Uh, so for the next few weeks, I want us to just kind of meditate, reflect, rest in this psalm together. Um, I want you to see what it means for your life right now, right here in 2020 in, in, in South OC. Uh, I want you to chew on it. I want you to savor it. Sort of like um, if, 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 you, if, you're a, if you're a fan of candy, you know, this, uh, uh, something like a, like, a, like a Starburst or a Jolly Rancher, something that you would kind of roll around in your mouth, a hard candy. I want you to savor it. I want you to chew on it. I want you to memorize it maybe for the first time. I want you to memorize it for the 15th time. I want you to say it every morning when you get up or maybe as you're about to hit the pillow at night. I want you, this psalm, to kind of be the thing that, that, that focuses your heart as you're calming down at the end of the day. Psalm 23 is better than you can imagine. That's, that's really what I, what I hope to show you, not just uh, today, but over the next several weeks. So today I just want to take the first verse, very slowly, simply take the first verse and look at two, I think two simple questions, but I think they get at ultimate concerns. They get at things that people ask, maybe not even consciously, but things that they ask about themselves and about the world that we live in on a regular basis. And these two questions are, who am I? One, who am I? And then secondly, who is God? So who am I? That's the first question I want to look at. Who am I? Psalm 23 sort of answers that indirectly. It's sort of implicit in, in the poem itself. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So if God is being described here in Psalm 23 as a shepherd, the sort of the indirect uh, claim that the Bible is making, uh, the indirect implicit claim is that you are, you and I are sheep. Uh, we're being compared to sheep. I am a sheep. And that may sound kind of sentimental to you. I, you know, it's Southern California is an area where you don't see too many sheep unless you're at some sort of animal preserve or at the zoo or something like that. That may sound sort of sentimental or warm and fuzzy to you, but let me suggest that the Bible's description of you and I as sheep is far from a compliment. It's, the Bible is not complimenting you when it likens you to a sheep. Uh, and if you knew the behavior of a sheep, you would know that the identification of you as a sheep is it almost borders on offensive. It almost borders on offensive for a number of reasons. First, sheep are weak. Uh, sheep are weak animals. I don't consider myself, I like being outdoors. I don't consider myself like too much of an outdoorsman. 
But I can I can guarantee you with some certainty that if you are hiking in the Sierra Nevadas or at some place that you would love to go outdoors, uh, the likelihood of you coming across a pack of wild sheep is very minuscule. It's almost non-existent. You might come across a wild dog or a feral cat or some other wild animal, but you'll never ever, I can almost guarantee you, you'll never ever come across a wild sheep. Why is that? It's a number of reasons. One is, I mean, the primary reason is sheep are too stupid and dependent to live in the wild. They're too, they, they cannot exist on their own. There's some exceptions to that, I'm sure. Don't Google it afterwards. I'm sure you can find an exception to the rule. But sheep generally are too stupid and too dependent to be wild. A sheep doesn't know what it can and cannot eat. Uh, it will, without hesitation, eat something that's poisonous. Sheep have almost little sense of direction and are prone to getting lost, trapped, injured, falling off a cliff, uh, getting stuck, flipped over on their side and unable to get back on their feet, which makes them more vulnerable to predators. Sheep are weak creatures. So let me suggest to you today that the Bible is, is saying something that's true about you, that you and I are weak, that you are not in control, that you are not, you and I are not in charge. You are the furthest thing from self-sufficient in your life. And I don't think it, that's something that I necessarily need to prove to you. If 2020 hasn't demonstrated to you that you're not in charge, that you're not in control, that things are out of your hands, um, then I don't know what exactly will prove that to you. And I know for some of you that might be sort of humbling to hear the Bible call you a sheep and realize that what the Bible's saying is you're not in charge. You, you don't have any control. You're not self-sufficient. And I think that's because, especially in Southern California, uh, maybe Orange County in particularly, uh, our default setting is to think that we are in charge. Uh, it's to think that we have our stuff together. We credit our success to ourselves. But let me suggest that the scripture is actually saying that when you when that's your default setting, you have an overinflated view of yourself. The life you live, you didn't build. It's a gift. See, in and of yourself, you are weak, helpless, vulnerable. You owe everything that you are and have to the God of the Bible. Everything that you are is a result of the work of this shepherd that Psalm 23 talks about. That might cut some of you. That might be sort of a, something you, you kind of bristle at. You, you, it's humbling. For others of you, I hope it's just a comfort. I hope the idea that you are not in charge, that you're not in control, and that you don't need to be, is actually something that I hope comforts you. Um, I hope that we'll, we'll look at this a little bit next week. But not being in control is, I think, the Bible's way of saying, relax. Rest. Chill out. Uh, when will you stop working yourself into the ground? When will you stop sort of putting all of these efforts into keeping up this facade of put-togetherness, of perfection, of, of being kind of a, a, a easy-to-get-along-with person? When will you just rest in the arms of this shepherd? Psalm 23, I think, invites you to that rest and says you're not in control, you're not in charge, you don't need to be put together you can be a sheep. So sheep are weak, but they're also wayward. 
they're also wayward. Sheep are, they're, they're stupid. Um, and without a shepherd, they get lost. But it's, it's more than that. It's uh, so oftentimes, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that scripture um, equates our sheepness with what the Bible calls sin. Uh, it, it sort of it draws a it draws a connection between the the reality that we're sheep and the reality that we are sinners at the exact same time. For example, in Isaiah fifty three, we read this: "We all like sheep have gone astray; each of us has turned to his own way." Or Psalm one nineteen says, "I have strayed like a lost sheep." So you see how the Bible is making that connection between uh, our sin. Uh, sort of the ways in which we violate the things of God and our sheepishness. See, being a sheep is more than just sort of a passive kind of dim-wittedness. By the way, I'm not like insulting you. I'm just just saying (laughs) this is all us. Uh, It's more than just a passive dim-wittedness. Sheep are not clever animals. They're not smart. The Bible actually says it's this active drift away from God. That's what sin is. It's it's not just, I, I, I didn't know any better. It's, no, we all have this active drift away from God. We are prone uh, to wander, prone to leave the shepherd. That's what sin is. It's running away. It's, it's getting lost. And I'm not talking just about like heinous acts of sin that you might uh, hear about on, uh, on the news uh, in the evening. Uh, I'm not talking about sort of like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The Bible says that you and I, each and every one of us, are prone to wander. Your default, that means your default setting is waywardness, this active drift away from God. See, I think it's in our hearts all to believe that we're pretty decent people, uh, that we are pretty nice people. And I bet I, I've met some of you for the first time tonight, uh, today. You're you are nice people. You're great people. Uh, you're you're put together people. Um, but here's the thing. Just as I said a moment ago, a sheep owes everything to the shepherd. It owes its very life to the shepherd. Its whole existence is based on the work of the shepherd. The Bible says you and I owe everything to God. This shepherd. You owe everything to him. And most of us, I think, don't really like that. Uh, We want somebody that we can call in a crisis. We want a consultant for our life, not a shepherd who is in control of every aspect of our life and to whom we owe allegiance in all things. We want a consultant. We want an assistant. We want an advisor. We want somebody we can pick up the phone to when our life is falling apart. But a shepherd to whom we owe everything? I don't think so. But look, if the Bible is true, then you owe this shepherd not just an hour or two on Sunday, but your life. Your career belongs to him. Your family belongs to him. Your relationships, your sexuality, your habits, your thoughts, your dreams for the future, they all belong to this shepherd, the shepherd in Psalm 23. And scripture, I think, confronts us all and says, are, you, are we willing to actually give that to God? In all our ways, are we acknowledging him? Be honest, do you? Is that something that in all of your ways you acknowledge God? The Bible says that anytime we can't answer that with an honest, sincere, joy-filled, yes, affirmative, that's going astray. It's not just 
horrible, heinous things that we might do or our neighbors might do. It's any time that we can't with joy, with affirmation, with delight, say, I give all of this to the Lord. The Bible says that's waywardness, that's sin. See, it's more than just disobeying rules. We're not being nice. It's not submitting all of your life to the shepherd. There's an old hymn that I love that says, it was written a couple hundred years ago, says, Fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise, that my whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways. Is your whole being proclaiming who God is and what he's done for you? I suspect if you're like me, the answer is no, not even close. Not even close. We're sheep. We're weak. We're wayward. And part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is to admit that reality, is to stop running away from it, is to stop suppressing it, is to stop denying it, but to admit and almost embrace that reality that I'm a sheep, I'm weak, I'm wayward, I need a shepherd. So that's who, that's who I am. That's who you are. You, you and I are sheep. Who is God? Who is God? Uh, Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. That's the confession of this poem. And you know, I think for years it was sort of my impression as I heard this poem read, as I memorized it as a kid, uh, to kind of envision David as a young man. Uh, many of you know the story of King David. He came from experience as a shepherd, as a boy. Uh, it sort of was my, in, I envisioned David writing this as a young man under the shade of a tree, kind of in the quiet hill, you know, the quiet Israeli hills while he was over overseeing a flock, playing a harp, uh, sort of this past, pastoral, pasture-like existence. But we don't really know when David, there's no indication in the psalm. We have no evidence of when David wrote this. He could have written this in sort of the calm, quiet, uh, you know, work that he did as a shepherd. Or he could have written this in one of his most turbulent, chaotic years of his life. When his life was falling apart, when the kingdom was being attacked, when things were being just blown open entirely, so something like 2020. Uh, we don't know. It could have been something, a period in his life where personally, socially, political, politically, things were falling apart. But the reality is that in either of those situations, God is who he is. And that's at the core of Psalm 23. God, in whatever situation you find yourself in, is unchanged. The New Testament says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this poem is good for reflection when you're down at the beach at San Clemente, but it's also just as true, it's just as relevant, it's just as important when your life is falling apart. When you get that diagnosis, when your financial security falls apart, when you're betrayed, when your life has hit the fan. And so for the last couple minutes uh, that we have reflecting on this psalm, I want to look at just those, the three words that come at the very end of that clause. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, is my shepherd. And I want to do that in reverse. So first we're going to look at the fact that God is a shepherd. I think we are all looking, aren't we all, like be honest with yourself for a moment, we are all looking for someone or something to meet our needs, whatever those needs are. 
And part of the call, I think, of Psalm 23 is to begin to identify in our life what are those things that we are looking for that are kind of like a substitute shepherd or a false shepherd or something that we run to, someone that we run to, that we're, that we're looking to, to to meet our basic desires and needs. Things like our performance, things like our spouse, things like our appearance or our hobbies and recreations, things that we think will fill us up. And the indirect, I think, indictment of Psalm 23 is that those false shepherds, those substitute shepherds, the things that you're looking to to kind of fill that that longing, that desire that you innately have, uh, is those those things can't ultimately do what you think they can. Psalm 23 says you're a sheep. Sheep have basic needs like food, water, <laughs> shelter, and a shepherd who's worth uh, who's worth their salt cares for those things. He cares about all of those things. And if you are depending on something to provide them, aren't you aren't you in a sense looking for? that, looking for a shepherd, looking for that that person or that thing or that career which will answer all of those questions for you. The Bible says it comes from the Lord. Psalm 23 says God is that shepherd. So who are you looking to for security to make you feel safe in an unsafe world? Who are you trusting in to guide you when you need to make important life-altering decisions? Who cares for all the unmet desires or wounds that you carry from your history, from your family that nobody knows about? Psalm 23 says only God can actually do that. Only the God of the Bible can actually meet those needs and meet you right where you are. And this God, the Bible says, has unlimited resources. And so he is able, in whatever situation you are facing, to take his unlimited resources and meet limited sheep right where they are. God's a shepherd, but he's also my shepherd. Look, God isn't just a shepherd. He's not just our shepherd. He's my shepherd. That's personal. You may have thought of God in the past as, you know, God is my king. God is my judge. But Psalm 23 says, as Sam said, God is, this is, this is a, a theme that comes up over and over again in the Bible. Where the Bible says that God is your shepherd. He's my shepherd. And that means at the very least, he knows you intimately. He knows the real you. I was looking up um, what part of the fun of, of preaching through passages like this is you sort of get to explore things that you otherwise wouldn't in your day-to-day -day life. So for example, this week I spent a lot of time Googling just sort of like shepherding techniques because I'm unfamiliar with that. But uh, shepherding techniques, it's fascinating. You know, it's in the shepherd's interest uh, it's from an oper from an operations perspective in terms of the work of a shepherd. It's in the shepherd's interest to know and care for each individual sheep. It's the shepherd's job to tend the flock, but part of that is to know each and every individual sheep, to know who needs medication, to know who needs food supplements, to know who needs special assistance. You have to know the sheep if you want to be a good shepherd. Each and every one. The Bible says that God is your shepherd. He's your shepherd. He knows you. He, he knows the real you. Not the pretend you. Not, 
the you who's hiding from other people, but the real you. Not the you that goes up on social media. The real you. He knows you inside and out. That is both, I think, a comfort and uh, scary. But let's, let's reflect on that last word. The Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd. There's, there's an incredible amount of truth packed into that two-letter verb. The Lord is my shepherd. Maybe you've read this psalm a dozen times, and that hasn't that word maybe hasn't particularly jumped out at you. It did this week for me. The Lord is my shepherd. Let that little verb kind of sink in its way into your heart because that little verb, I think, has the power of a jet engine to alter your life, to change the trajectory of your life, to drive your life and your heart in ways that you never thought possible. Look what I mean. Here's what David does with this little word is. He said, the Lord is, therefore I shall. Look at the rest of the psalm. You have it. It's on page two of the worship folder. The Lord is, therefore I, what? Shall not want. I won't be controlled by consumption and discontent, but I'll know a shepherd who loves me and who gave himself for me. The Lord is, therefore I shall not fear. I'll fear no evil. I, I have a shepherd who has already passed through death itself and risen victorious from the grave. Therefore, why should I be afraid of anything? What can 2020 do to me? What can the loss of a job ultimately do to me? I have a shepherd. He is, therefore I shall have no fear. The Lord is, therefore, goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. It's not my past or my mistakes or my failures that should haunt me, but it's God's goodness. It's his forgiving grace, his mercy that runs after me and pursues me. The Lord is, therefore, I shall dwell in God's house. I know my destiny. I know that the long-term worst-case scenario for a sheep of this shepherd is unending happiness in the presence of my creator and maker. That's what David does with it. He just takes theology. He just takes, this is who God is. And he brings it to bear on his own situation, on his own life. Let me invite you to use Psalm 23 in that way, to think about the reality that God is and what that means for you right now. What does it mean? The Lord is means this. It means that there's no prerequisites, there's no conditions, there's no qualifications to your relationship with God. He's the one who initiates, he's the shepherd who pursues, he's the shepherd who goes and seeks the lost sheep. Your feelings, your circumstances may change, this church may change, but God is your shepherd. God's relationship with you does not change. He is. And friends, that's good news. That's amazingly good news. How do you know? But how do you, I guess I, the question is, you can have that theology, but how do you know it? How can you sort of take that to the bank when Monday morning comes? When those things, when life begins to unravel, when you get that diagnosis, when that loved one betrays you, this is how you can take it to the bank. Reflect. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, who is God? God is the maker of the heavens and the earth. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. 
And yet we read in the New Testament the reality that this shepherd, God himself, took on our human nature. He took on our flesh. He became a lamb. He became a sheep, just like you and me. John the Baptist, when he was, uh, when he met Jesus, he says, Behold, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God himself, this shepherd, became a sheep. That's the depths of his love for you. He knew you exhaustively. He knew you intimately. He knew you to the very bottom, and yet he was willing to go to these kinds of depths to rescue you, to redeem you. And so Jesus is able to say that no one snatches a sheep from the shepherd's hand. No one can take away a sheep. That should give you comfort, brothers and sisters. There's, no, there's, no, there's not a presidential election. There's not a job loss. There's not a relationship. There's nothing that can snatch you away from your shepherd. Not even your own sin. Jesus talks about in Luke 15 the reality that a good shepherd will pursue runaway and lost sheep. Not even your own sin. It doesn't matter how stupid you are, what mistakes you've made, what sin and addictions you're trapped in, how lost you are. It doesn't matter. This shepherd doesn't say, oh gosh, there she goes again, doing what she knows is wrong, or this guy always does that. No, this is a shepherd who pursues the sheep even to the point of becoming one and laying down his own life. Jesus died on the cross. He suffered all the wrath of God against our waywardness, against the reality that we want to drift away from God. God said, no, I'm going to pursue you, even to the point of giving myself so that their life could be secure, their destiny could be secure, their sins could be forgiven. And friends, that's good news. The shepherd became the sheep. This Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, became a lamb so that you could know that you have a substitute who loves you, who knows you, who knows the real you, and yet loves you infinitely. That's good news, friends. Let's pray. Let's go to the shepherd asking for his blessing on us as we come to his table. Heavenly Father, you are uh, the great shepherd of the sheep. You are the one who has given your own son, Christ Jesus, to be the good shepherd, to care for us, to provide for us, to nourish us, to protect us from harm, ultimate harm. Father, we know that the real, the ultimate harm that we face is sin and death. And we know, Jesus, that you have done away with that. You have paid for our sins. You paid the price of our sins. And through your victorious resurrection, you have defeated death. What more could we want? What more can we need, Father? You have given us the best thing of all, your Son. So, Father, as we come to your table, Make us mindful of these things. Help us to remember, help us to see, help us to believe again that you are the shepherd who became the sheep so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be brought in, so that we could be welcomed into the arms of a father brought home. Thank you so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.